when I published Ulysses by James Joyce in my little bookshop called Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Look, look, the dust is growing. My branches lost no Stately clump bug bargain. All perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said yes, I will, yes. Friends of Shakespeare and Company with Ulysses by James Joyce. Read today by Nicole Flattery. The superior, the very Reverend John Conway, S.J., reset his smooth watch in his interior pocket as he came down the presbytery steps. Five to three. Just nice time to walk to our tea. What was that boy's name again? Dignum, yes. Very Dignum, as just him S. Brother Swan was the person to see Mr. Cunningham's letter. Yes, oblige him if possible. Good practical Catholic. Useful at mission time. A one-legged sailor swinging himself onward by lazy jerks of his crutches growled some notes. He jerked short before the convent of the Sisters of Charity and held out a peak cap for alms towards the very Reverend John Conway S.J. Father Conway blessed him in the sun for his purse held, he knew, one silver crown. Father Conway crossed to Mountjoy Square. He thought, but not for long, of soldiers and sailors whose legs had been shot off by cannonballs, ending their days in some pauper ward, and of Cardinal Wolsey's words, if I had served my God as I have served my king, he would not have abandoned me in my old days. He walked by the tree shade of sunny winking leaves, and towards him came the wife of Mr. David Sheehy, MP. Very well indeed, Father. And you, Father? Father Conway was wonderfully well indeed. He would go to Buxton probably for the waters. And her boys, were they getting on well at Belvedere? Was that so? Father Conway was very glad indeed to hear that. And Mr. Sheehy himself, still in London. The house was still sitting, to be sure it was. Beautiful weather it was, delightful indeed. Yes, it was very probable that Father Bernard Vaughan would come again to preach. Oh yes, a very great success. A wonderful man indeed. Father Conway was very glad to see the wife of Mr. David Sheehy, MP, looking so well, and he begged to be remembered to Mr. David Sheehy, MP. Yes, he would certainly call. Good afternoon, Mrs. Sheehy. Father Conway doffed his silk hat as he took leave at the jet beads of her mantilla shining in the sun, and smiled yet again in going. He had cleaned his teeth, he knew well, with arcanut paste. Father Conway walked and walking, smiled with his thoughts on Father Bernard's drawl eyes and cockney voice. Pallad, why didn't you bow back that owl and mob? A zealous man, however, really he was, and really did great good in his way. Beyond a doubt, he loved Ireland, he said, and he loved the Irish. Of good family, too, would one think it? Welsh were they not. Father Conway strapped three little schoolboys at the corner of Mountjoy Square. Yes, they were from Belvedere, the little house. Aha! And were they good boys at school? Oh, that was very good now. And what was his name? Jack Sohan, and his name? Ger Gallagher. And the other little man? His name was Brunny Linham. Oh, that was a very nice name to have. Father Conmee gave a letter from his breast to Master Brunny Linham and pointed to the red pillar box at the corner of Fitzgibbon Street. But mind you, don't post yourself into the box, little man, he said. The boys succeed, Father Conmee, and laughed. Oh, sir. Well, let me see if you can post a letter, Father Conmee said. Master Brunny Linham ran across the road and put Father Conmee's letter to Father Provincial into the mouth of the big red letter box. Father Conmee smiled and nodded and smiled and walked along Mountjoy Square East. Mr. Dennis J. Maginnan, professor of dancing, in silk hat, slate frack coat with silk facings, white kerchief tie, 
tight lavender trousers, canary gloves and pointed patent boots, walking with grave deportment, most respectfully took the curbstone as he passed Lady Maxwell at the corner of Dingham's Court. Was that not Mrs. McGuinness? Mrs. McGuinness, stately, silver-haired, bowed to Father Conway from the further footpath along which he smiled. And Father Conway smiled and saluted. How did she do? A fine carriage she had, like Mary Queen of Scots something. And to think that she was a pawnbroker, well now, such a, what should he say, such a queenly mean. Father Conway walked down Great Charles Street and glanced at the shut-up free church on the left. The Reverend T. R. Green B. A. Willed Beak. The incumbent, they called him. He felt it incumbent on him to say a few words. But one should be charitable. Invincible ignorance. They acted according to their lights. Father Conway turned the corner and walked along the North Circular Road. It was a wonder that there was not a tram line in such an important thoroughfare. Surely there ought to be. A band of Skatchel schoolboys crossed from Richmond Street, all raised on tidy caps. Father Conway greeted them more than once benignly, Christian brother boys. Father Conway smelled incense on his right hand as he walked. St. Joseph's Church, Portland Row, for aged and virtuous females. Father Conway raised his hat to the Blessed Sacrament. Virtuous, but occasionally they were also bad-tempered. Near Adler House, Father Conway thought of that spendthrift nobleman, and now it was an office or something. Father Conway began to walk along the North Strand Road and was saluted by Mr. William Gallagher, who stood in the doorway of his shop. Father Conway saluted Mr. William Gallagher and perceived the odours that came from bacon flitches and ample coals of butter. He passed Grogan's the tobacconist against which newsboards leaned and told of a dreadful catastrophe in New York. In America, these things were continually happening. Unfortunate people to die like that, unprepared. Still, an act of perfect contrition. Father Conway went by Daniel Bergen's public house, against the window of which two unlabouring men lounged. They saluted him and were saluted. Father Conway passed H.J. O'Neill's funeral establishment, where Corny Kelleher taught figures in the daybook while he chewed a bait of hay. A constable on his beat saluted Father Conway, and Father Conway saluted a constable. A nuke sitters, the pork butchers, Father Conway observed pig's puddings, white and black and red, lying neatly covered in tubes. Moored under the trees of Charleville Mall, Father Conway saw a turf bard, a tow horse with pendant head, a bargeman with a hat of dirty straw seated amidships, smoking and staring at a branch of poplar above him. It was idyllic, and Father Conway reflected on the providence of the creator who had made turf to be in bogs where men might dig it out and bring it to town and hamlet to make fires in the houses of poor people. A Newcomen Bridge, the very Reverend John Conway S.J. of St. Francis Xavier's Church, Upper Gardiner Street, stepped onto an outward-bound tram. Often inward-bound trams stepped to the Reverend Nicholas Dudley, C.C. of St. Agatha's Church, North William Street, onto Newcomen Bridge. At Newcomen Bridge, Father Conway stepped into an outward-bound train for he disliked to traverse and foot the dingy way past Mud Island. Father Conway sat in the corner of the tram car, a blue ticket tucked with care in the eye of one plump kid glove, while four shillings, a sixpence and five pennies shooted from his other plump glove pan into his purse. Passing the Ivy Church, he reflected that the ticket inspector usually made his visit when one had carelessly thrown away the ticket. The solemnity of the occupants of the car seemed to Father Conway excessive for a journey so short and cheap. Father Conway liked cheerful decorum. It was a peaceful day. The gentleman with the glasses opposite Father Conway had finished explaining and looked down. His wife, Father Conway, supposed. A tiny yawn opened the mouth of the wife of the gentleman with the glasses. She raised her small gloved fist, yawned ever so gently, tip-tapping her small gloved fist in her opening mouth and smiled tinnily, sweetly. 
Father Conley perceived her perfume in the car. He perceived also that the awkward man at the other side of her was sitting on the edge of the seat. Father Conley at the altar rails placed the host with difficulty in the mouth of the awkward old man who had the shaky head. At Ansley Bridge, the tram halted, and when it was about to go, an old woman rose suddenly from her place to alight. The conductor pulled the bell strap to stay the car for her. She passed out with her basket and a market net, and Father Conway saw the conductor help her and net and basket down, and Father Conway thought, as she had nearly passed the end of the penny fair, that she was one of those good souls who had to be told twice, bless you, my child, that they have been absolved, pray for me. But they had so many worries in life, so many cares, poor creatures. From the hoardings, Mr. Eugene Stratton grinned with thick lips at Father Conway. Father Conley thought of the souls of black and brown and yellow men in his sermon of St. Peter Claveraste in the African mission, and of the propagation of the faith and of the millions of black and brown and yellow souls that had not received the baptism of water when their last hour came like a thief in the night. That book by the Belgian Jesuit, La Numbre de Ulus, seemed to Father Conley a reasonable plea. There were millions of human souls created by God in his own likeness to whom the faith had not been brought, but they were God's souls created by God. It seemed to Father Conway a pity that they should all be lost, a waste, if one might say. At the Holt Road stop, Father Conway alighted, was saluted by the conductor and saluted at in turn. The Malahide Road was quiet. It pleased Father Conway, road and name. The joy bells were ringing in gay Malahide. Lord Talboyd de Malahide, immediate hereditary Lord Admiral of Malahide, and the seas adjoining. Then came the call to arms and she was made widow and wife in one day. Those were old wordish days, loyal times in joyous town lads, old times in the barony. Father Conway, walking, thought of his little book, Old Times in the Barony, and of the book that might be written about Jesuit houses, and of Mary Rochford, daughter of Lord Molesworth, first Countess of Belvedere. A listless lady, no more young, walked along the shores of Loch Ennell, Mary, first Countess of Belvedere, listlessly walking in the evening, not startled when an otter plunged. Who could know the truth? Not the jealous Lord Belvedere, and not her confessor. She had not committed adultery fully with her husband's brother. She would have to confess if she had not all sinned as women did. Only God knew, and she and he, her husband's brother. Father Conway thought of that tyrannous incontinence, needed, however, for men's race on earth, and of the ways of God, which were not our ways. Don John Conway walked and moved in times of yore. He was humane and honoured there. He bore in mind secrets confessed, and he smiled at smiling noble faces in a beeswax drawing room, ceilinged with full fruit clusters, and at the hands of a bride and of a bridegroom, noble to noble, were impaled by John John Conley. It was a charming day. The leek gate of a field showed Father Conway breasts of cabbages, courtesying to him with ample underleaves. The sky showed him a flock of small white clouds going slowly down the wind. Montour, the French said, a homely and just word. Father Conway, reading his office, watched a flock of muttoning clouds over rock coffee. His thin-socked ankles were tickled by the stubble of a clongo's field. He walked there, reading in the evening, and heard the cries of the boys' lions at their play, young cries in the quiet evening. He was their rector. His reign was mild. Father Conmy drew off his gloves and took his red jed breviary out. An ivory bookmark told him the page. None. He should have read that before lunch, but Lady Maxwell had come. Father Conmy read in secret. Patter and ave and crossed his breast. He walked calmly and read mutiny the nuns, walking and reading till he came to res iba maculata, priestidum verbonum turum veratus, in eternum omna idus tua. A flushed young man came from a gap of a hedge, and after him came a young woman with wild nodding daisies in her hand. 
The young man raised his cap abruptly. The young woman abruptly bent and with slow care detached from her light skirt a clinging twig. Father Kame blessed spoke gravely and turned a thin page in his breviary. Sin, principles for casadas magratis, et a verba tu formadas crum meum.